Welcome to the Ritual House Podcast, a show about the rituals we practice, the new ones we create, and the many ways rituals help us live deeper, more meaningful, and more connected lives. I'm your host, Tova Leibovic Douglas, and allow me to be the first one to say, welcome home. Hi, folks. How you doing? It's a time to be alive, isn't it? There's a lot of noise in the world. A lot of noise. It's very loud. (laughs) And I'm not just talking about like the honking um, of the horns noise. I'm talking about like just the information that we are like overloaded. I I, I hear my my dad in my head. He says, there's so much information. (laughs) There didn't used to be this much. You know, with technology, with our ability to tap into so many things at once, it makes it so there's very little time to actually be, just to be. And I've been thinking a lot about that. What is a way for us to find moments to be? Because life can be hard, as we know. We're all in it and we're all living through it right now. You know, in a lot of the spiritual communities that I get to be part of, there's a lot of talk of living in this moment of going through the chaos, the utter chaos, right? That we're like living through this chaos and that we all chose to live through it, meaning we're souls here alive in this moment for this reason, for some greater purpose collectively, that we're choosing to be here in order to like live through it, that we all chose it. And I I think about that a lot because what does it mean to be a soul that chooses to be here right now when it's so much, so much hardship, pain, challenge, but also so much noise, figuring out a way to be there. I find that for me, what quiets the noise is actually for sure prayer. And I'm going to actually give you a proper ritual on prayer at the end of the episode. So stay tuned to the end, please, if you feel like getting a ritual for prayer. But also, like, not not just prayer, which is beautiful. Actually, it, it's, it's little moments that create moments that allow for me to go inward and connect to something divine within me and higher consciousness. And, and it's like in that solitude, and sometimes it's physical solitude, like going on a hike and being quiet by myself, but sometimes it's actually like being in solitude around other people. And, and often that's actually listening to music at a concert or going to a museum and being quiet with the work or gallery. And I I think about that a lot because I I, I think that artists often, I, I have an argument that often many of them are really deeply spiritual because they're accessing a their particular gift, their particular gift in the world, they are accessing in that moment in order to create something. And, and it's their gift, but it's also something like greater. It's like a greater consciousness, a, a creativity. It's like, the, it's the most beautiful form of spirituality. And when I decided to start the Ritual House podcast, I thought for sure, I want to have as many artists on here as possible, because I do find the artists to generate something deeply spiritual and ritualistic. And so this episode was really fun to have Analia Saban on, who is just an incredible artist, really go check her work out. But also, I think a model of someone who is living a life that is tapping into that greater spiritual existence that all of us kind of are also trying to tap into, that she's sort of like modeling it. At least for me, that's what I felt when talking to her, that she goes inward that she's not afraid of the solitude. And that I think it was a great reminder for me in this world that can be very, very busy, that I know that I need to remember that I I need to go inward. I need to create moments to do just that. She said a statement that's really, really impacted me since uh, our meeting. She said, the sea is always holding you. I love this so much. The sea is always holding us. Think about that. The life that is so challenging and so hard and so so much noise and so much happening and so many waves that can be so busy and hard and harsh. To know that those same waves are part of a sea that is actually holding us, that we're part of something bigger than us, part of us, 
So I'm excited for you to meet Analia with this episode and uh, stay tuned to the end to hear about the ritual. It's really exciting to be back on The Ritual House. I am here with Analia Saban, who is a new friend, but also a really, really incredible human, person, artist, creative. There's so many things I can say about her that I'm going to actually introduce her properly in just a moment. So this is um, Analia Saban who is an artist who dissects and reconfigures traditional notions of painting, often using the medium of paint as the subject itself, blurring the lines between painting and sculpture, imagery and objecthood. Her work frequently includes plays on art historical references and traditions. She was born in 1980 in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Analia Saban currently lives and works in Los Angeles. She received a BFA in visual arts from Loyola University in New Orleans in 2001, followed by an MFA in New Genres at the University of California in Los Angeles in 2005. Saban's works are represented in the collections of the Hammer Museum at UCLA, Museum of Contemporary Art Los Angeles, and Getty Research Institute, Institute in Los Angeles, Blaffer Art Museum, and the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston, San Antonio Museum of Art in San Antonio, Mead Art Museum in Amherst, Albright Knox Art Gallery and Hessel Museum of Art at Bard College in New York, Norton Museum of Art in Florida, the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, National Gallery of Victoria Melbourne, Center uh, Pompidou in Paris, among many others. That's an incredible bio, but I think, I mean, not but, and what I'd like to say about Analia is she is, yes, a brilliant artist, as you can hear from her bio, but more importantly or equally important is that she walks in the world with a great deal of flow. And I think when I say flow, I mean she intuitively is sort of in the present moment wherever she is. And so I don't know her well enough, but my sense of her is that she really deeply cares about whatever is right in front of her. And she meets that moment and that person with whatever needs to be there. And uh, the final thing I'll say about her is she has an amazing laugh. And so I'm just very, very glad to have you on the podcast and get to learn from you and with you a little bit for today. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Rabbi Tova. <laughs> you could call me Tova. <laughs> I think something so um, satisfying about knowing like a cool rabbi, not, not that you're the only one, but I really feel like you're redefining what a rabbi can be and uh i'm just very happy to like kind of like think of a rabbi as like my peer and not something that's more institutionalized or detached from like normal life i mean just to know that like you have a family and you're in touch with that family you're not just like in a yeshiva like studying all day and you know you actually like know your children like you're engaged in like life and like you go to like a coffee shop and like you know like like you're really like in it like living through life with all the all the different things that life can bring and like you can still be a rabbi and like bring you know some like sense of spirituality to friends and people so anyway i just I love it. And you're like, um, I'll call you Tova, but like you're totally Rabbi Tova. <laughs> well, thank you so much. But I actually feel the same way about you. I mean, I definitely know artists, but I don't, I'm not like, I don't know artists that are, you know, in the MoCA and the MoMA and LACMA. Like, like, I don't know artists that are like, in the art world, in the institutional, I guess, art world, we'll say like as a well-known entity and, your latest exhibit, I mean, still in my mind and in my heart. And so I don't know someone like that up close. And I feel similarly, I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm fangirling when I'm with you, but also that, yes, you're a full 
picture a full human with so many different pieces of you we were just talking before we went live of like i was like wait how do you just come on here don't you have to just be in flow in your art studio like how do you stop that did i stop your flow i'm actually curious do you have a process in that way are you like here i'm gonna work from when i drop my kids off at school let's just say if you're doing a drop off at like nine like you're you're in the studio at 9 30 until you can't and, be until i can be i mean i think yeah. it's more like um so the way i mean every artist is different i mean for me the way i work is it really comes in waves i compare it a bit to gardening and like sometimes you know you're just sitting at the studio and there is nothing flowing <laughs> and that's probably like the most anxiety inducing you know season I call it the season because I really feel like I'm going through like it's it's basically like like gardening, you know, and I and I call it compost compost, you know, I'm going through the compost pile and like throwing all those, you know, banana peels and orange peels and I'm just like waiting and seeing like, you know, if that's going to turn into dirt and to like and then that's going to turn into something fertile soil and then and then I start planting a few seeds and then you wait and you wait and you wait. And then all of a sudden, like, once you see like a little seed sprout, that's where I really feel like I get into the flow. That's where I see, like, I'm like, okay, I have an idea. I know what I'm doing and I'm going for it all the way until the harvest, which would be like a big exhibition. Right now at this moment, it's funny, like you caught me kind of going through a compost pile and it's not like <laughs> the most pleasant thing. I never know if it's going to like sprout again or not. But then I look back and I'm like, okay, I've been doing this for like 20 years. And so I'm going to do it again. Yeah. So you have the wisdom to know like your rhythm of some kind, but even so, you introduced it just a minute ago as the exciting, you said it's an exciting time. I think you said that a moment ago, like, yeah, it's exciting. Like, how is that? Is it frustrating to be in that particular stage? I think it's exciting and it's it, it gives me anxiety. It's both because, you know, on the one hand, like, you know, something new will start. So it's kind of like the beginning of something. But at the same time, like, you don't really know what you're doing. And and then to feel comfortable in the not knowing, I think it's an art in itself. And yes. it's something that like we should all practice and <laughs> just to like understand that like it's there is there is a cycle to it and we are mm. part of nature. Like I don't think we are like as humans we're detached from nature. Like we think we are in our own heads, but I really feel like we have more fertile days and just like, you know, even like having a child, like you have more fertile days and more days where like you're just rebuilding. Um, so right now I'm in the process of rebuilding and yeah, it's exciting, but it's also, it does give me a bit of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. It's very spiritual. Your, your way. Do you, do you identify with that word being spiritual? I do. I feel like uh, it's people ask me a lot of like religion, but I think spirituality, like my own inner search is probably like the most powerful force. And I think I have to. I mean, I I feel grateful for having sometimes it feels weird to believe in things or to like, you know, see yourself as the ocean or like, I love or, that. you know, to like understand like these forces of nature. And, you know, you can be like somebody else from the outside might be like, oh, come on, just, you know, get to work. And there is nothing magical about it. But, you know, at the same time, like, I believe in trusting the universe and whether things are meant to be or not. So, um, and that gives me company in a way. Like, I feel like I'm not alone somehow. Like, if, you know, the stars are guiding us. I love that so much. And oh gosh, to compare yourself to an ocean and the stars, you're speaking my language. But I didn't always have that in me. I feel like I've cultivated, maybe I had it as a child, but then I lost it. And then I had to reimagine it, cultivate it. And I still have to actually really nurture it, that it doesn't just come sort of naturally to me. Do you, do you feel like it's a natural state for you? I feel like I have to nurture it. But at the same time, like, you know, like, for instance, you know, for us, like, we're like, lucky to be in LA. And I feel like the moment, like, I'm a little off center, I go sit by the ocean and just kind of understanding that, you know, we are bodies made of water. And like, you do feel that connection. 
A meditation I like to do when I'm sitting by the ocean is to like kind of close my eyes and let the waves go through me. Somehow I find that very cleansing to just be in the moment and like imagine like when you hear the wave, when you hear the sound of the wave to think about like, okay, it's like coming in and it's like, you know, just filling your whole mind and your whole body. And then like the wave leaves and like, you know, like, okay, it's coming out. And, and I find that like kind of uh, very centering. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, definitely something to nurture and it's very easy to go off the path. Yeah. Somehow talking about it and even talking to you, like makes me feel like already connected, but then we might end up the conversation and then I'll feel like, oh shit, what am I doing next in the studio? <laughs> so. No, I know, but I don't, I don't, again, like we haven't spent enough time with you. Every time I spend, I'm like, oh, you're really living that out. And, and then it makes me wonder if so many artists are like, living that out and I, I'm not friends with enough artists and I should become friends with more art, you know, because I feel like you're in that rhythm of some kind, whatever that rhythm is, like a personal one, one that is sort of you're connected to something and I don't know, maybe, but I think it might be a little bit you. I think it's you. I don't, I don't know. And I'm curious as a child, was this your way? Do you remember in Buenos Aires, like growing up? What was Analia's way? Were there rituals that held you that you remember? I feel like, I mean, sadly, I don't think I could find those rituals in my family life. Um, but because I was a bit lonely as a child, I just remember like finding like, I mean, like walking down the street and seeing something and feeling, you know, kind of uplifted by something very random. I mean, I do like that about living in a city that like you like can walk by a park and see, you know, a tree that looks amazing and you can climb on it. I do remember something very clearly, which was I had to go to school like super early, like before sunrise and I just remember like, you know, going to school by bus, like by public transportation on my own, like, you know, looking back, it was like pretty early. Um, and and then I didn't care. I just was like so happy seeing the sunrise every morning. So even though I was a bit like tired or whatever, then we would like just the bus would like go by the river where like you see the sunrise. And then I just kind of had this like burst of energy. And I always you know, kind of think about that, like if I'm having a bad day or like I'm just kind of um, a bit down for any reason, like I always just want to like sleep and like let it like, I'm like, I know in the morning I'll feel better and just, you know, trust that like there's always another day. And then looking back and turning the page on something super dark, I mean, like I had a friend who committed suicide and I was so crushed by it and, and I really always feel like it was like during the night and I'm like, oh, if you, you could have like slept through the night, you know, and like woke up the next day, you know, like I really feel like there is something just about the cycle of the day and how like, you know, it's always another day. It's a very, very powerful force. Hmm. I'm sorry about your friend. It's okay. It's been like 20 years that I still think about because I feel like in many cases, like it's kind of the night thing or like the lack of sleep or, you know, like just to really trust that there's always another day. And like, I feel like it's it's really such a powerful thing, you know, like and sometimes I highly recommend just going to sleep, you know, waking up the next day. I feel like we need to give each other like a break because you always kind of, if you have any situation, you want to like just kind of fix it in your mind. And like sometimes all you have to do is like let it be and like wait for the next day. So I think that's pretty much my ritual in a way, like sleep, having a good night's sleep. <laughs> I love that. Um, and also it just connects you, it sounds like, to something that you've always felt since you were a kid, like that you had that sort of ability to sort of see that sunrise and feel that energy and know that it was... I don't know if it's always okay, but it feels okay enough for the next day that it's yeah. going to be okay. That's really beautiful. Do you like remember as a child, like I know you grew up Jewish. Mm -hmm. Were there like religious rituals in any way in your household at all or like none? They did very light. I mean, to be honest, I don't know why I have to like ask around. They never celebrated like the happy holidays. I mean, it was always like <laughs> young people and, you know, Passover was maybe like the happiest of all because like we like got out of Egypt. But, um, you know, it was like, 
I didn't even know about Hanukkah and the chocolates and the <laughs> and the gifts until like I moved to the U.S. I mean, like it's funny. Um, well, that's cap. I mean, that's like American capitalism. We had to keep up, you know. With I'm just kidding. Like no, but sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, but I think no, that's I hear you. hilarious. It's like sponsored by Hershey's. I don't know. I don't know who makes the chocolate coins. Like I mean, I don't, I don't even know. But I mean, they are like they were very smart. Um, and I love it now. I'm like, oh, this is like so happy. Or you have like Purim, or you know, you have like. We didn't do any of the happy holidays. It was always about like guilt and <laughs> and feeling, you know, young Kippur and feeling like the worst person in the world. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like I did like the idea of Shabbat. I mean, I did like, you know, the play dates with my cousins. I mean, like having like that weekly ritual of like meeting and and um I mean I love, you know, that we are like Sephardic Jews, so I love like the food <laughs> like just seeing like you know all the women in the family like cooking for like three days in advance of a high holiday and just like you know i wish i could replicate that like a part of me i feel like i will get to the point that i i do want to like do that for my family i mean I, I think there is something so important about like stopping life and just being like we're going to cook like a two-day meal and it's going to be a lot of work and it's fine like it's really like a time to to make it with love and enjoy it um so that's probably like the most important but yeah a bit of like happy holidays would have been nice it's so funny yeah i mean i don't think that i actually don't think you're alone i've heard that before and also i think it's really interesting you know, in Judaism, if someone wants to like join Judaism or convert, everyone's like, you should go to high holiday services. <laughs> and I'm always like, no, like, that's not the way to sell this, uh, this tradition. <laughs> like, go to synagogue, don't eat all day, sit in a boring synagogue all day long, feel guilty. It's not exactly our, I don't think it's our selling point. We have some other good ones. So <laughs> it is pretty funny. Um, so I don't think you're alone. Like, I think, I guess we take on the most, I don't know, severe or serious ones on. But yeah, you have this, it sounds like you just had this childhood that was, you know, a combination of a lot of different things. And somehow within you, I mean, my favorite story about you actually is you shared about trusting the universe, I guess, when you came to America and you went to art school in Louisiana, and then you decided to apply to graduate programs, I think, in art. And you and you just had no idea what was good, what was not like you you didn't have any like awareness. I don't even know what good is, but whatever, whatever that, you know, those things are that we care about in our world, the systems, the ratings, but you somehow like just did it. Like where does that come from, Analia? Like where is that? What do you think that is for you? I mean, I think that's also part of you know, the spiritual life in the end, because looking back when you realize that like, there is always a path, right? Like you think you're going to control it or you think you're making decisions, but like at the end of the day, there is a path and 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 we all have it, right? And the more we control it, the kind of the weird it gets. And then the more you let go, sometimes, you know, that's, I really feel like that's kind of where the miracles happen. And to me, like, I was so young, I had no idea about, you know, how I was going to, like, make money with my career or anything like that. But it really, like, just felt right. Like, I mean, whenever I made a decision, it was, like, kind of the decision made itself. And I would just go for it. And I had, like, trust probably because I had no other choice. But, like, I just went for it, went for it. As I grow older, you kind of feel like, oh, no, wait a minute, like, I want this, I want that, or I don't want to lose this, or I don't want to lose that. And then you become, like, more, like, you know, scared of, like, decisions. You don't want to, like, I feel like, you know, I have to make a big effort not to lose that flexibility because you kind of feel like, oh, wait, I want this, or I want that, or I want this for my kids, or I want that. And, you know... It's kind of silly because looking back, I was never like that. And I had like the most exciting path of like, you know, where like I went from one university to the other. I was always like ready to move. You know, whenever I finished like a program, I was like, okay, what's next? You know, I would just pack my pack my apartment and go. Right. And 
And then, you know, it was like such like a fantastic journey. So I think that's, you know, now I kind of want to like always like reflect on that and just realize that there's always a path and we all have it. I read a book to my kids, which I love, and it's about, it's um, by Alan Watt. And it's basically like this fish who's afraid of falling, even though he's like in the water and then like he's afraid of like not be able to swim. Mm. Like, you know, he's always in the water and then kind of like the great sea comes in one day and he's like, oh, so he's like trying to grab onto something so like he can't find anything to grab onto. So he's like grabbing onto his own tail. And then the great sea one day comes in and he's like, don't you see it? I always held you, you know, I was always mm. here for you. And like, mm. I I think of that a lot. Like, I feel like even there are many days that we're like, wait, is this going to work out or not? And we start like freaking out and we just don't see that like the, the sea is always holding you. So the sea is always holding us. I love that. I want to read that book. I I I, str- I th- I'm actually just so curious if it's like an innate thing that some of us have within us, like just naturally, you know, that we're like wired in a particular way to sort of trust the sea and the waters and the waves, or are we all wired that way and we lose it? You know, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. I can say. I mean, I all I know is that there is always a path. I mean, like I saw it like you know, people finishing school and like everyone going in different directions. And then we meet 20 years later and you're like, oh, everyone had a path, you know, like it's not that somebody was like not knowing what, you know what I mean? Like totally lost and not having any path, you know, like, and I wish I knew that from the beginning because then you worry less, right? Like then you realize like, oh, how much time did I waste like worrying about one thing or the other? And then there was always a path. It's not like you're like just lost in space, kind of like without any sense of direction. I mean, like you always met someone along the way. You always like ended up like making decisions just organically. I mean, I really, I, I think since I have a garden, I kind of like, totally realize that there is that path, you know, because there is always like nature will come around and like the rain will bring the water it needed and the sun, you know, of course you have to nurture it, right? You have to like keep the soil like fertile. So if you want to like write a book, you have to read books or you have to practice, like sit, get a notebook and a pencil, right? Like you, you need to kind of nurture it. But as long as you do that, then it kind of grows, you know, it doesn't just stay totally in limbo. So I, I, I don't know if it comes natural or not, but like just from my experience, I always see like everyone has a path and, and, and we don't have to control it so much. Yeah, I love that. I, I <laughs> As someone that is somewhat controlling by nature, I have to work so hard to follow the breadcrumbs, uh, to trust what's right in front of me or the next thing, to like listen to that voice of like, no, you should you should contact her. You know, for instance, with us, right? That's an example. Like, oh, you, you liked her. So what? She's a famous artist. You should still, con-. like normally my mind will do a little thing and I won't contact the person or. Isn't it sad to think about like how much how hard is it to like make friends? I mean, but then it's it's really like the first step because then you re- like then it's it's like effortless. But right. it's like that first like I mean, and like we all have it. Like you know, so many days I have to go to like a big event or something, and I'm like, oh, like I really want to go. Then I come home and I'm like, oh, I had like the best time. Like, and then the next day I have to go to another event, and I'm like. I really don't want to go. I don't know anyone there. And then I come home, I'm like, I have the best time. And then the third day, I do the same thing. Like, it's just like, I don't know. Like, you tell me, like, why? Like, why is it so hard? I mean, is it because we are like, we have like so much like space around us. So it's like hard to break that space. I mean, I think about this a lot. Like, why is it so hard? Was it always hard? I guess that's the first question I'll ask. Or do you feel like it became hard post pandemic or did it become harder as you got older or curious yeah, if it I think it's always hard. I mean, post pandemic I kind of I feel like when I'm like, you know, in a huge event, I feel like a little bit like, oh, it's like a lot of people. And I also think I'm like sensitive to energy, right? Yeah. So then you have to like then it's just sometimes like a lot. Um, yeah. 
But I mean, at the same time, like I love my friends. I mean, I love meeting people. I mean, I love when like I have a conversation with someone that someone knew, you know, and it's just like this like exciting like moment and exciting energy. So, but I just wonder like why like that first step. First step. Yeah. I do wonder um, what that is. I was listening to a podcast actually recently on, I don't remember the podcast and I don't remember who the person was, I should, <laughs> but it was really interesting. They were talking about the science of doing the things you don't want to do and how that actually expands our brain or a particular part of our brain, which then actually is so great for creativity, longevity, like, you know, um, sidestepping any of the like, age diseases like dementia, et cetera. Like it's like doing the thing that you don't want to do is the thing that actually will wake us up neurologically speaking and really not a science person. So it's funny that I'm bringing this up, but I just think there's truth in it. And it's kind of confusing because especially when we're talking about spirituality, right? In some way, because there's something about intuition, listen to your intuition, right? Like what is, what's calling you, or at least for me, I'll say like, what's calling me in the moment And then like listening to that is really important. But then now if you put on like, no, you should you should go to that party, even though you don't really want to go to that party, that actually might be the thing that's going to be great for you and your brain. It's kind of like an interesting tension, I guess. And I guess for me, I I'm always afraid that, well, first of all, I'm so protective of my energy, I think, and my time. Um, because I feel like I have none of it since having children. So I'm so like, I'm like, oh, I have time by myself. I'm, I need to protect it. So I think that's my biggest hurdle because pre-children, it's not that I didn't want to do the thing, but I was a little bit more open to more things than I am now. Even though with children, like, I think the biggest surprise for me is like, how I went from like having like a very quiet like home to like having like so many people in the house at all times. It's not just like the child, like with the child comes like the play dates and like the nanny and more family visits. And I was like, oh, I like, I didn't know that this child really come with like a whole village or something. So that was like a big surprise. Do you need quiet in order to do your art, like art? Like, is that like paramount for you to go inward I need quiet yeah. yeah I mean like I I do enjoy like I I feel like even though I would say like that first step sometimes meeting people can be like a bit like hard depending on how much energy I, I have but at the same time like I'm very happy when I'm very social so like if I'm like traveling and I don't have this like you know studio life I go crazy I see all my friends I go out all the time like I love it then when I have to work it's really like being, you know, kind of on my own, breathing. It can be a little isolating and, and sometimes hard, but also rewarding. But yeah, I do need some quiet. Like I can't, I wish sometimes I look at all those documentaries of like Andy Warhol, you know, having like a disco party while he's like making like a ton of work. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I wish I could do that. That sounds fun. To me, it's more like a bit of a painful, you know, just sitting and doing the work. Do you talk to your friends who are artists about their own process and the intersectionality of spirituality? Is that like something that's like in the like air in the art? I mean, obviously you can't represent the whole art world, but in your your world of the art world, is that there? Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot. I mean... And even like after COVID, I feel like we all became closer. There's more of like a community. We like were more organized. We see each other for like breakfasts. And like, I think it's been like really great to like share our struggles and like just to share, like to have a sense of community. I don't know if like spirituality is something like so open, but one thing I do love about artists, like for instance, like I had one professor who, if you look at his work, it's like, his name is Paul McCarthy. I mean, if you look at his work, it's like sex and craziness. I mean, like, like you know, kind of like the worst images you can imagine. I mean, like he has, you know, uh, butt plugs and I mean, like pornography. And it's really like, you know, cutting your head off and whatever. Like, 
totally insane. <laughs> but at the same time, like, you know, when you talk to him, like, he's like the nicest person, like the more, most like together, like he's like an amazing father, like he's like extremely like, family oriented, like he's just so like in such a good place, like mentally. So I feel like there is something about art to have like some type of like output that like, you know, some artists, you know, are the opposite, right? Like they're all into drugs and like living a very unhealthy life, but like others can, you know, have learned to like use the medium in like, cause we all have like a place of darkness and weirdness. So they can feel like they use this place to like, kind of like channel that. Mm. And I think that they can like be extremely healthy in a different way. So it's interesting. I mean, I love meeting artists. I mean, this, I think there is something kind of brave about like, just connecting with your desires and struggles oh, and yeah. sharing that with the world. And um, some people are better than others than that, but like, I think it's really like quite like, just oh, fascinating. The most amazing people I think are certainly creatives, if not artists themselves, like just people that are willing to be brave enough to put themselves out there, to actually be brave enough to step into a process. Like your process is long, right? And it's, arduous and it's tedious and you don't know where it's going to take you each time you have no idea right it's like totally to live a life like that I don't know I find to be very compelling I was an art I told you I was an art history major I feel like in mm -hmm. college so like I love art but I'm not I, I everyone is creative everyone has like a I am not an artist by any means but um there's something about it I think that it's like one of the last professions that seems to like you trace artists throughout history right to the very beginning of time and while i know your life is very different than rembrandt's life was just making that right like very very different but i imagine that there was some big process that he also had to go through in order to get each of those things out right like in some way and that you're also doing that whereas today like there's so many different kinds of professions that you can't trace and so there's something that feels very grounded and like human and spiritual and connective about artists to me as like a choice like to choose it today also yeah i mean when i look at and you know you brought up a good example when i look at rembrandt i mean like you know his sense of emotion mm. there is no one that can do that like i mean he's you know, the other day I was at LACMA and I was looking at their print collection. And we looked at like a hundred different prints by like a hundred different artists, like, you know, some big, some small. And then you look at like the couple of Rembrandt pieces that they have that are like really tiny, tiny. And I mean, not so tiny, but compared to like, you know, other big prints, I mean, they're kind of small and, and it's all there. I mean, like you really feel like, like, the emotional life of humans, like psychology, like, you know, it's all in like those little prints. And, and I just love that because, you know, when like, I mean, he's just so well known in like such an international way. And then to think that like so many people can relate to that work, I mean, which is like you know, a piece of paper with some ink on top, you know, those are the prints or like, you know, like a piece of fabric with some like paint on top and everyone like, you look at like you look at that piece and like it's so emotional and so much about like these people you know these portraits and in some cases were like you know people just look like they've been through life right and like everyone gets it you know like they understand it like and you don't have to understand it like in a rational way like you just feel it and you don't have to describe it you don't have to understand anything about the period like you you, you know it's like some people i feel like they feel bad for not like understanding art like you don't have to understand it like you just like you look at it and you let your body like absorb it and you let the colors speak to you and you let the brush strokes speak to you and like you kind of like you're in the moment for like that minute or even like 45 seconds and then you just kind of have a piece of like how this artist related to life at that moment. And you understand that you are part of that like universe and that you have these like mm. issues, you know, <laughs> just as like those people in those portraits had those issues. And, you know, we're all like in this life together. And I just think it's like, I love that about life. I mean, like 
there is no language that can replicate it. Like there are no words for it. Like you just let it get through you. Mm. I, th- I think I think a lot about that, you know, and like that's something that came later for me to understand that like it really is a, a language beyond language and it really can bring people together in such a deep, abstract way that I feel like um, it would be hard to connect in other ways. And just like a Michael Jackson song, maybe can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. And I just I'm I'm like feeling into how I love to go to museums or galleries and it's my husband Austin always makes fun of me because like I just have a way about doing it which I didn't notice until we were together and it's like very specific on how I just like look at art feels like a unique way to how I do it I'm sure other people do it this way also how is it I'm so curious so I really have an instinct to like scan I like to scan for a moment it doesn't have to be the whole building just it could be the room but it's like taking in the room and then finding a piece or two or three to like really go into depth but I can't seem to do more than that in that instant like I have to take a break and talk or go outside and then come back in and it's like a whole process that I have of just taking art in but I really I do find even just looking at art can be certainly a practice of mindfulness, right? Um, but but even so, I find it to be spiritual. I'll, I'll say to clients all the time, like, you don't have to go to synagogue, go go to a museum. Wow, you really are a cool rabbi, I have to say, damn. <laughs> well, but I, but I think it's true because I think like at the end of the day, we're here to just somehow connect to ourselves and to people we care about. Like we belong to ourselves, we belong to one another belong to the earth like we have to like just find ways to do that and I think religion Judaism was my you know toolbox and I and I love it so much and I think so much there's so much ancient wisdom in it and rituals that really are so beautiful because they're doing that they're like sort of inviting that in but if it's not doing it for you right? Like if that's not what is making you connect, then there has to be another way or many other ways to do it, you know? And I I don't know. I, I think that, yeah, synagogue can be really great for a lot of people. And for some people, it's just not the way. I had this experience at the Hollywood Bowl the other day. And it was I like- call it my church. Anyway, go I mean, I call it my church. I, mean, I was like, I mean, it was like, um, it was actually for Yom Kippur. And I was like, really, it was my birthday. So I was like, I was really like, I'm like, okay, it's Yom Kippur. I mean, I do the fast and like, this is the one holiday that I like, I'm in it, you know, like I'm really in it. Like I, I, I use it, I go through it. I think about a lot of things and so I was like, okay, it's Yom Kippur, but at the same time, it's my birthday. I'm like, can we like, can I fast and go to the Hollywood Bowl, right? I mean, is it like, okay. And then, so anyway, I decided to go. And 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 then I was there, it was this band and like, everyone knew the lyrics and there were like people from like all over the world and like everyone was singing together. And I'm totally emotional because I was like, this is it for me. I mean, like, mm. this is why I love art so much. And like, I can be going through Yom Kippur myself in like a very internal, deep way. And I can still be here and share this experience. And I just felt so lucky to be there. It was really emotional, actually, just mm. to understand that like we could all like just share the song, you know, and like we could all be part of something bigger and be like so ha- people were like so happy. I mean, even when like the, the concert ended, people kept singing on the way to the cars, you know, it oh, was just this wow. like beautiful moment. So I think a lot about that too. I mean, I call it my church too. I mean, it really was like such, I mean, it's 18,000 people and like you're like there just to share, you know, this one song. Amazing. It's like, it's very profound. It's amazing. And do you notice the trees there too? There's something about the way that they like sort of like <laughs> they like dance with the music, I feel like often. I think I have noticed that it's that and it's the light, the sunset. I mean, it's like it's the bowl, it's the vessel, right? I mean, like, 
Right. There's just so many things to it. So we just have to do Yom Kippur at the Hollywood. I'll just do Yom Kippur, <laughs> like real Jewish Yom Kippur at the Hollywood Bowl, and then we'll solve all the issues. People not going to synagogue and finding their own spirituality it's just true. right there. I think it would I mean, take it away, though, I think. <laughs> to hear, like, the shofar at the Hollywood Bowl would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> Um, Annalie, I could talk to you all day, but I have like one last question to ask you, if that's okay. Yeah. Do you have a ritual that you return to today that holds you, contains you, helps you? I'd probably take a shower at the end of the day. <laughs> when you take a shower, is there like a ritualistic aspect to it for you? It's funny, like you asked, but like, I think if like, if it's a stressful day, I go pretty hot. Like, I mean, I take a very hot shower and I think that really helps. And it's definitely a deep ritual. I mean, I feel like if, if I don't do it, it's just something totally wrong. So, and, and I've been doing it lately because the morning routine is so uh, hectic with kids and everything. So I've been doing it at the end of the day and I realized there is something very purifying mm. about taking a shower. I always did it in the morning and now I'm like, okay, I take the shower at the end of the day and then like you go to sleep and it's just like you kind of like the mind, the mindset as you're going into sleep, it's also very important. So yeah, I think about that. I love that. Amazing. Okay, well, everyone, Make sure to find Analia Saban, find her work at the many museums that are around the world showcasing them. I also just, gosh, I just keep thinking about this one image from, if I can share from your, from your latest collection, it's huge. And it's like how to make a painting. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? What is the name of that, t the title of that work? Yeah, I recently made a big drawing about how to make a painting. So it's very basically all the variables that are like part of making a painting. So from um, it was kind of like a very fun experience to think about a painting that's about making a painting. So it's all the different like steps uh, written and with different like drawings and all the different variables that I think about as an artist when I'm about to make a painting. So I know yeah. I, I just <laughs> I loved all, the whole thing. But that one is coming to me right now because you were like deconstructing a process for all of us to sort of look into. And while you're deconstructing it, it's like this also very interesting and cool piece of art while deconstructing it. So anyway, sorry, I'm just thinking about it. Anyway, check Analia's workout. It's really so interesting and so moving. And all the different stages of your art are, is, is vast and varied and complex and intricate. And so definitely check her workout. You can follow her on Instagram at Analia Saban. Hey. Analia Saban, yeah. Amazing. Saban. Um, anything else that you want to make sure people know about? Thank you. I um, I do have works at LACMA at the moment. So if anyone is in LA, and um, they'll be up for a while. So I have two works at LACMA. You can check them out. Amazing. Yay. Check her out. She's amazing. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Rabbi Toba. <laughs> Yes. So good, right? So good. Art is medicine. Um, you know what else is medicine? Something that I'm going to make myself do this week, which is pray. Yes, pray. And there's lots of ways to pray. But I'm going to share a spiritual, mystical Jewish tradition, a Hasidic tradition that I think is quite powerful and potent. It's called Hit Bododut. I've done Heat Bododut a bunch, and basically what Heat Bododut is, is an opportunity. It basically means seclusion or solitude. So the idea is actually to go somewhere alone, and preferably somewhere in a natural setting. That's like always a preference in our Hasidic mystical traditions. Yes, Judaism is earthbound, magical. <laughs> totally, we've cut ourselves off from that reality, but that is very much how we've been until recently. So recommendation is to go into nature to do this. But the idea is basically to go into solitude. Um, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, who lived in like the 19th century, he was a really big proponent of this uh, practice, and he inherited it from the Hasidic tradition. So that's where it stems from, which also stems from Kabbalistic tradition. So just want to give the lineage to that. But you go somewhere in solitude, 
And what you do is you just talk to God with what's on your heart. What's on your heart? And it can really be mundane initially, because when you first do this, especially in our world where we're so busy, it's going to feel a little weird. And the idea is to just be like, and if you're not into God, by the way, universe, higher consciousness, use whatever language feels good to you. I use divine. That's what works for me. But it's literally saying, hey, I don't know what to eat for lunch today, and I'm kind of hungry, and I'm a little nervous, and I'm a little scared, and I'm feeling this and this and this. Allow yourself to go into a deeper place within yourself so that you can connect to yourself and to something greater than you. And if you can do it, like put a timer on, try, start like five minutes, right? Or three minutes even, and then maybe extend it. And if you can't get, by the way, to like a forest, because like who has time for that? You can literally do it in your backyard (laughs) or like, you know, somewhere just a little quieter, I would say. Do it and see what happens. What are the messages? What does your soul need to hear today? What happens when you put your cell phone in the other room and you let yourself be in solitude and you talk directly to God with, or to consciousness or to universe with what's on your heart. I bet if you do it as a practice, something will be whispered back. For me, this greatest moment was when I was in New Mexico leading um, a teen trip to Zuni Pueblo. We were in the middle of nowhere and we decided to do Hippo to do it and we were telling the teens to do it. But what I didn't realize in that moment is how desperate I needed it. I needed that solitude. I needed that opportunity to tell divine what was on my heart. So try it. Let me know how it goes. I would love to hear it. Thanks for being here. I hope you have a week where you are feeling cared for, where you have compassion for yourself, and where you are feeling a sense of ownership of your soul, your your ability to close out the noise and listen in so that you can be here, grounded, exactly as you need to be. Thank you for listening to the Ritual House podcast. Please be sure to follow the show on whichever platform you are listening to this right now so that you'll never miss an episode. And as we grow the show, we want to hear about the rituals that are meaningful to you. We invite you to share your ritual practices with us. You can DM us at theritual.house on Instagram or find us on our website, www.theritual.house. Also, as a new show, your feedback is really important to us. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? We'll see you back here next week to continue the ritual revolution. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a week filled with intention and attention. Take good care.